Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is uh, Robert Hernandez. He's an associate professor of professional practice, which sounds kind of like a tongue twister to me. Um, he calls himself a digital journalism professor using new methods of, uh, well, new technologies to, uh, to do journalism in a digital way. And uh, his project is called Journalism. It, it includes the letters VR in the journalism word. That's why it's a strange pronunciation, but uh, it gives us a hint as to what's to come. So, Professor Hernandez, so Robert, how you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got through my tongue twisters. So uh, if you would, you know, let me know, let the audience know a little bit about what you do. And uh, it sounds really interesting. I, I haven't heard much about this. So but tell me what you're working on sure. and we'll go from there. Sure. I've been uh, here at USC, the University of Southern California's Journalism School, USC Annenberg, for, for now nine years. And uh, my entire career, professional career, has been in digital journalism. Uh, working for newspapers uh, in the Bay Area, in Seattle, uh, in one point in Central America, um, but always digital, always tinkering and trying to figure out what the next disruption could be and trying to find uh, how we can get ahead of it. Um, and that's what my focus is here at the university. Um, and for the last few years, five years, something like that, I've always done experimental classes um, uh, in 2013, I did augmented reality in journalism. Uh, 2014, uh, when Google Glass came out, uh, I did a, a glass journalism course. Um, and for the last three and a half years, I've been focusing on VR journalism. Um, that's why there's that cute typo in our name. Instead of journalism, we dropped the U for a V. They so have the cute little typo there uh, to, to come up with the name journalism. Um, which is now trademark. Um, we uh, explore immersive. The whole framework of what I do is looking at emerging technologies and how I can hijack them uh, in the name of journalism. How can I get ahead of the curve? How can I figure out how it's going to change how we report, how we tell stories, how we design stories, how we distribute stories, and how potentially could we make money from those stories, new formats. Um, but for this particular class, we've been focusing around uh, immersive uh, experiences, immersive stories. And we've produced stories um, with the New York Times, ProPublica, NBC, NPR, USA Today, Reveal News, a variety of different uh, national news organizations. And we've covered things from the Trump inauguration and the Women's March the next day. Um, we won an award for a piece on the Salton Sea here in California. It's the largest lake in the state that is dying and turning into a big environmental disaster. Um, we went to South Korea and during the Winter Olympics and produced immersive experiences uh, based on some stories that we saw there. Last semester, my students produced a piece about immigration and deportation uh, called The Deported Life Beyond the Border. Um, and you can see all these projects on our website, journalism.io. We have an iOS and Android app called Journalism. And we're now on the Oculus platform, um, Oculus Go and soon the others. Um, we work 
mainly in 360, which is technically not VR. But the reason I made that choice to focus on that is for, for several reasons. One, in a newsroom, it's the easiest low-hanging fruit to get someone or a news organization to start exploring immersive uh, experiences. And 360 video is, is not a foreign concept, or video is not a foreign concept for newsrooms. So 360 video is a, is a step, um, but not a gigantic step for most organizations. Um, and then I find that to be a gateway drug into VR. Um, but the most important reason why we focus on 360 or had focused on 360 is because it has a wider reach. My job as a journalist is to inform my diverse communities, and it's not limited to only those who can afford a high-end head-mounted display like um, HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift. So we produce these stories, and it comes with a series of compromises um, to reach a wider audience. This particular semester, we're focusing on photogrammetry and videogrammetry, and that's when you use photos or videos and other technologies to create a 3D model or a hologram of something or someone, right? So instead of an artist's interpretation, a 3D artist's interpretation of an item where they have to recreate it pixel by pixel, we use a series of photographs, run it through software, and it creates not an interpretation, but an actual model based on the visuals that we supply. And that allows are, um, us to do nonfiction things. Yeah, I, go, I got a right questions ahead. in here. I got a yeah. questions. Sure. I would bet that um, using these technologies changes the way people report news stories. You know, obviously it changes the way people experience them. But, you know, can we start with, uh, you know, what have you noticed with this new technology? How does that change how stories are reported? What have you seen? Sure. It depends on what your goal is and what your output is, but let's start with the 360 stuff, which has been the bulk of what my students have done. Um, a 360 camera uh, captures everywhere, right? There's no place to hide, and so you're either in the shot or quite literally, you do have to hide. Um, so uh, that changes the framing and the composition of, of a story, which changes how you interview someone for that story. Right. When we did a piece about the Salton Sea, and we had a scientist treat the camera as a human being. That's one of the best practices. The camera itself is almost like someone's head. And so, therefore, you keep it at eye level. And the the source, in this case the scientist, explained to the camera as if they were explaining to a human being what the, the water situation was along the Salton Sea. Um, and so... We're not in the shot. We don't want to be in that shot because when you consume this experience, you're immersed in this world and the scientist is talking directly to you. That experience is called holding presence with someone, um, being able to be on this you know, middle of the desert location with the scientist who's pointing things out to you and you get to look around. Right? And when you look around, uh, there's a series of challenges there. One challenge is, am I paying attention to the scientist? Or am I bored? And I can look anywhere, right? Uh, compared to a 2D or a flat video where a frame is composed, this is an immersive experience where I can look at the sky or take a look at the guy's shoes or look over my shoulder or off to the horizon. I can look anywhere. So that's one of the challenges of, of telling a story. The other challenge is if I'm not in the shot, where am I? So we often have to find places to hide and, and, and things like that. Um, well, there are different... Uh, yeah, yeah. One of, one of the while there are differences in in producing the stuff, 
the core things that we do as journalists don't change. We're not making things up. We're we're being accurate. We're being ethical. Um, just because it's a different type of camera, those core values don't change. But they do often unlock new challenges and new opportunities. Um, for example, there's a project that a colleague did, um, and they interviewed a refugee who was sexually assaulted. Her husband was killed, and she had to walk for miles to get to a refugee camp with her two kids. And the interview uh, was done with the traditional camera. The reporters were behind the camera. And, you know, part of their job as a journalist, especially with such an incredible topic, is to connect with the the source and help them feel safe. And when they're sharing their story, that it, it's dealt with a lot of respect and, and integrity. Um, so they conducted the interview and maintained eye contact and said, you know, tell, tell me about your journey. Tell me about the assault, right? If we were going to do that video in 360, that poses a series of new challenges uh, because as we're hiding, you know, it can be as uh, done poorly by yelling across the room. Hi, I'm outside the room. You can't see me. Tell me about your assault. Right. So you have to build rapport with the source in a different way and have to come up with ways of how do we problem solve this? Maybe. So, um, um, quick question. Why why not do. Yeah. um 360, but, you know, use software to blur out uh, yourself, you know, or to... That's a very, to, very to great question. So that comes down to the code of ethics and kind of core values um, in terms of not manipulating reality, right? So that's one of those things that we do journalistically. We want to avoid is is Photoshopping something out just because it's not aesthetically pleasing. Um, now, granted, what we're doing essentially is is creating an experience, a moment where someone who went through a newsworthy experience is talking to the camera, which in turn will be you when you consume it. And we're fabricating that experience, right? It's it's not a natural experience to be talking to a camera to share their story, but we're bringing that camera there and we're hoping to capture that genuine experience and that accurate storytelling. Um, but to put someone there and remove it, that for for journalists cross the line, and that for me, my comfort level, I don't want to uh, manipulate uh, something significant like that. That said, which is really interesting, is how is this camera being held up at eye level? Well, it's using a tripod or a light stand, um, and one of the things that we do routinely do is remove the tripod and light stand, right? So when you look down, you're kind of, there are different approaches. It's, it's the, the concept in general is called embodiment. What is your body like? Some people have tried mannequins. Some people have just put a sticker, you know, kind of like a logo at the bottom. What we've done is just, we remove the tripod, we Photoshop it out quite literally and put the ground there like it's, it's you're like you're floating. Um, there are different strategies to it. Different news organizations are okay with it. Others are not. For us, uh, as we've published, we have found that that allows you to stay more present than than breaking presence, than breaking the immersion. Um, it's one way to view it in traditional ways. Like, let's say you're watching an interview on a traditional, you know. Uh, flat 2D thing, and then you see the boom mic, or you see a piece of equipment enter the frame, and you're like, wait, what's that? And it takes you out of the interview. That's kind of our approach uh, of removing the monopod. But if someone is interviewing you there, and you Photoshop out an entire person, 
that to me is going too far. So it's really interesting. This is a new era of all this type of storytelling. You know, this is 360. We haven't even gotten into computer graphics and 3D modeling and the recreation. Um, that brings up a whole set of other challenges and ethical questions and things like that. Well, why not a setting for people? Um, you know, because distraction could be a problem. You kind of hinted at that. So why not produce a piece with a lot of uh, background stuff stripped out and someone could click a setting and it would restore everything in the background if they wish. Oh, that's interesting. But they could view yeah, it that's an you know, both ways. Yeah, yeah. So there are um, there are different philosophies and different approaches. Um, and for me, I look at this camera as like something new and an opportunity to kind of problem solve, but also to do it quickly on deadline and within budget, right? So the focus of my work here at the university and with my students is to produce best practices of these emerging technologies, these possible disruptions, but do it in a way that is affordable. So I'm not worried about the New York Times or the Washington Post. They have the money to kind of create crazy cool technologies. I'm worrying about every other news organization that serves its city, its region, its state at that local level that usually doesn't have money to to come up with these crazy technologies and things like that. So I'm I'm focusing on how can they produce it, but also do it on deadline, so not have to overproduce, right? So in order to do that simple switch, that means that's an interactive type of video, and it's no longer a video that's on YouTube or Facebook. It's now something that you have to download an app, an app is probably the most common way to do that. And in order for you to download an app, then I've got to pick a platform like iOS or Android or, or Oculus Go, and then I have to find a way to stand out amongst the sea of apps in hopes for you to download it and for you to get to that story. Right, so that's that series of compromises I talked about earlier in terms of by picking a simple 360 video, we compromise and lose interactivity, um, but we have a wider reach. So that is possible. That's, that's one of the things that people have talked about, like how do, we, how do we let people know we remove the tripod or things like that? Um, and I look at the 360 thing as a, as a challenge in terms of I, I can hide. I can do a better job of connecting with my sources and framing questions and problem-solving in creative ways opposed to, to blurring me out. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's an, uh, a new category of cameras called 180 cameras. A 180 camera, I'm personally not on board for this camera, but this is um, 180 degrees, and so looking forward – and then if I look behind me, it's completely black. A lot of filmmakers are liking this camera because they feel com comfortable. It's the same type of framework. I have a camera pointing forward, and, my, and I'm in my director's chair sitting behind this camera with my monitor and the sound people. And so, therefore, I don't have to change my behavior. I'm not a fan of that because if, a tr if it's a true disruption, then we've got to figure out every aspect of the way. How do we embrace this disruption and work within its limitations to really come up with storytelling? And, and, and we've been able to do it um, from flying drones to interviewing people to using illustrations and graphics. We incorporate 2D videos and photos as well. Um, it's it's a challenge, but it's a fun one, and that's actually you know what attracts me to my work. Um, all these different new challenges that there's no textbook for. But what have what have you noticed again? Uh, the reactions of people viewing 
videos done the way you do them with 360 with other technologies how is there you know what feedback do you get sure so the first if someone's never done this stuff before is just jaw dropping um and for those listeners if you're like well you know i hear about this stuff how do i see it um the first way to consume this stuff is through your phone is a nice way. Um, if you go to YouTube, right, assuming you have the latest version of YouTube, you can do a search for Jovernalism, J-O-V-R-N-A-L-I-S-M, and The Deported. And that'll take you to videos of The Deported. You hit play and go full screen, and you can move you physically move your phone around to be able to pan around in 360, right? You can touch your, you know, use your finger to rotate as well. But that, that the ability to look through your phone into a 360 world, that's called the magic window uh, technique. So simple way, watching it that way. That's not fully immersive. You're looking through a little window to get there. Um, the next level up would be, especially on YouTube, there's a little icon of a little mask uh, if you tap that, it splits the view, and if you have a viewer like Google Cardboard, you pop your phone into the the cardboard, bring it up to your face, and now you're inside that video. So it's no longer a little magic window, but you're immersed in it. The quality is okay, but of course it doesn't compare to something like the Gear VR or Oculus Go, let alone HTC Vive or Rift. Um, but let's say you're immersed and you try this experience. Uh, people are blown away by it. They're inside the story. They are. They've they've left this reality and immersed themselves into this virtual reality or reality created by 360 cameras. Um, so really powerful. Now the challenge with that though is often they're so in awe of being in an immersive place that they miss the story. So I have to find ways to hold your attention and to keep it to tell you a compelling story. So if you look at this narrative of VR, a lot of stuff has been very gimmicky, and people are learning how to tell a story. What we've done, uh, especially with The Departed, um, we've tried to get it visually compelling taking advantage of the technology, even though it's not full VR, but it's 360, but then telling you a really compelling story. And, and the feedback we've gotten with our latest project is that. Uh, people have said, you know, I've done 360, I've done VR, and I get it, but this is the first project I've done that I actually paid attention uh, to the story and I learned from it. It was beautiful, it was powerful, but I learned from it. And that's what good journalism should do, regardless of the technology, regardless of the platform. How do I tell you something about the community or the world around you to help you put context in there, right? So um, they're blown away by it. And, and again, if you haven't done it, you've got to really go try it to understand what I'm talking about, because describing it or even showing it on a, you know, when I give workshops or keynotes and I show it on the screen, it falls real flat. You got to try it to really see it. And there's some really fantastic stuff out there to experiment and learn from. Are there um, are there types of uh, journalism or types of things that you'd film that lend themselves more to the VR experience and ones that really don't uh, don't do much for you? Have you noticed anything sure. there, or are there particular type of experiences that people like you're a lot more amazed by than others. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's still early days, and we're trying to figure out what a good story is. Um, 
one of the things I say to my students and when I give talks is a good story is a good story regardless of what platform it is, right? If it's a human condition story, if it con connects with you emotionally, it doesn't matter if it's text or photos or video, it'll resonate with you. And so naturally, those stories um, will be compelling. Hearing people who've been deported, um, whether they're veterans or a family that's self-deported, you're hearing their story and seeing where they live it resonates and has a bit more impact. Um, the other thing is is access to something you wouldn't have access to. So when we started talking about trying to use this technology to tell stories about immigration and deportation, one idea we came up with right away is like, well, where the hell do you end up? Where do you start when you're deported? Like literally when you look back, that's the country that kicked you out. And when you look forward, this is now your new home. Maybe you had a relationship with it. Maybe you hadn't seen it for 30 years since you crossed over or your parents crossed you over at six months. But that's your new reality. Where is that point? And so we went to, it's called El Chaparral in Tijuana, Mexico, and set up a camera right there at the turnstiles. And that's where we start our story, right? This type of storytelling gives you, could immerse you into a place that you would never have access to, that might be too dangerous to go to, that maybe you don't want to avoid or it's on the other side of the world. That has really uh, strong potential things. Mm. Um, one other type is, is in virtual reality, true virtual reality, I can recreate things to help you better understand concepts. And one of our first projects was with ProPublica. Um, the project is called Hell in High Water VR. And they had done an investigation about how the city of Houston, the Houston Ship Channel, was a sitting duck for the next hurricane. They knew locally it was a known story. Um, it was very much uh, like Katrina. Katrina was predicted. A lot of people may not remember this, but Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, and the outcome of what happened was predicted two years before it happened. It was front-page news in the local paper, the Times-Picayune, but people just dismissed it. And uh, Houston was been talked about like that as well. Uh, if a hurricane hits at a certain angle, at a certain um, type, a certain category, it could generate what some scientists were calling a, a, a mighty Ike model, a, a 30-foot storm surge. Now, when when uh, ProPublica approached us about this story, they said, hey, we want to see if we can get people to understand what's at stake more than rather ignore it. And then when it hits, they said, oh, I didn't, knew, didn't know this was happening. So they asked if VR could do it. And so we attempted to do that. That was our first project. And one of the pieces that we gravitated to was trying to explain what a storm surge was. At the time, Hurricane uh, Superstorm Sandy had just hit New York, and we had heard that someone from the National Weather Service said, you know, we announced that a storm surge was coming, but no one really cared. If we said mm. it was a tsunami, it would have generated a different reaction. Everyone knows it was a tsunami. You don't mess with a tsunami. It's a wall of water coming at you. Well, a storm right. surge is essentially the same thing. And so we thought, why don't we create an experience that defines what a storm surge is? We can show what a storm surge was for Hurricane Ike, which was 10 feet. 
and then we can do a model of what this what scientists were predicting as a mighty ice, the 30 foot storm surge, mm. right? And again, in journalism, when I tell you a 30 foot wall of water is coming at you, you do your best to try to, you know, I'm five five. What is that? That's six of me. That's that five and a half of me. You know, stacked on top of each other. That's tall. I get it. It's a big wall of water. Right. Um, but to see it in VR come at you you realize, oh, man, I get it now, right? So, And it's not just simple, you know, it's journalism. So we didn't just go into computer graphics and show you this wall of water coming at you. Our first opening scene, uh, when we went down to Houston, um, we were on the hunt for a house that was by the water that had an empty lot next to it. And we found one. Uh, it, it had uh, a perfect location next to it. Um, we captured that in 360. So when you start this experience, we start at that location in a 360 photo with a locator map. So it lets you know this is an actual place. Here's just place along the water. And then we introduced the computer representation uh, rudimentary, but you get the gist that this computer uh, CG house falls from the sky and lands right next to the empty lot, uh, or lands on the empty lot right next to that house. You see the similarities of it. So we established this is a real place, real location, and that computer graphic is a representation of that home you're looking in front of you. Then we transition to a full, com full computer graphic scene, and now you're standing next to the home, at an average height, we calculated the home was 28 feet tall. Um, and so you get that home, that base of reality, as your reference point as you see a 10-foot wall of water come to you. And you say, oh, you know what? It goes right right above the stilts. This house could survive that. That's not too bad. Okay, I get it. That's tall. But then when you see the looming 30-foot wall of water, you're like, game over, right? I get it now. That house is screwed. And you see the, the, the urgency. So scale is something that is possible in VR, and data visualizations is something uh, that I'm surprised more people aren't doing, but we're experimenting with it as well. well the speaking of walls of water, it just, started, uh, it just started pouring here. So, uh, oh, did you? <laughs> Let's hope there's no storm right away. Yeah, hopefully not. I was, I was actually in New York when... Uh, Hurricane Sandy hit. And it's funny, the news never portrays things as they really are, I noticed, you know. It, it selectively it, picks certain scenes and certain things to, you know, to magnify or to, to deprecate uh, what's really going on. So I'm hoping that this new technology will help, you know, level the playing field and make it more real. Yeah, there there are some challenges there in terms of the news. I would say that uh, I would agree with you that 24-hour cable news often uh, amplifies certain angles of the story because they're slaves to ratings and they want you to watch. Everything is breaking news. Oh my gosh, don't watch, don't look away. Look at our brave reporter standing in the rain. Um, that, 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 they're, they're slaves to pictures. Um, newspapers and radio stories, in my opinion, are more on point, more accurate in how they depict the, the events. Um, so, so I would say judge judge the journalism industry more towards that than uh, non-breaking news or fabricated breaking news that you often see in, in, in all types of 24-hour uh, network news uh, channels. Um, but, you know, right. funny that you should say that that challenge of, of, of not fabricating, here in this, in this medium of virtual reality, I can create anything. And my guide is journalism and the code of ethics associated with that. But someone who is not 
interested in journalism or is interested in manipulating people can easily fabricate something. And one of the interesting studies or many studies that you'll look into this space, when someone is immersed in another world, they believe things a lot more readily. Um, there's a really fascinating, uh, simple, brilliant experiment called the rubber arm test, which, you know, the, the researchers have this ridiculous-looking arm. They lay it in front of you. They don't hide the fact that this is a rubber arm. It's, it's not real. But what they do is they block your real arm from view with a piece of cardboard and put the rubber arm on the other side of the cardboard so it's in your field of view. And what they begin to do is they, in sync, touch your real hand and the new rubber hand in front of you. And almost instantaneously, your body adopts that rubber limb. And to prove the point, they try to hit it with a hammer or stick it with a fork, and you immediately jerk back as if they were going to stab your limb, even though you know that it's a rubber arm, right? So in this immersive world, things can be more believable. You can be more manipulated. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm pushing hard for journalism to help shape and define this this new medium so we can bring our code of ethics and our, our values to the storytelling around this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean people aren't going to manipulate it. I can. There's only so much I and my students can do, but at least we're trying to elevate the quality of nonfiction storytelling. But in fiction, you know, that's People can lie, just like they've lied when printing in the printing press or lied over the airways. Um, So that does add a new layer. Uh, I gave a TED Talk and and talked about this stuff, and that adds a new layer in terms of as a media consumer. You think it's tough now to know what is fake news? Get ready. Get educated because it's going to get harder and harder as technology advances. Yeah, I realized as, as we were talking that I just assumed it would be for like local news you know, that you would use this. But then I started thinking, hmm, well, it sounds like it would make it a lot richer if it was a documentary-type film, you know. And, I, and then I was going to ask you, are there films out there or coming that are filmed using 360 cameras and filmed using all the tools that you're using, even short films? Yes, yes, there's there's several, actually. Uh, they've been out for a while. Uh, Sundance uh, Film Festival, I think they're called the New Frontiers, New Horizons, Um, they have this whole section that is growing year over year for immersive storytelling. Tribeca has a piece, uh, has an area for that stuff. Uh, South by Southwest. Um, So it's very much maturing as a a storytelling platform. Many of those uh, experiences or stories are not nonfiction. They're fiction stories, but there's a lot of journalism folks in there telling some powerful stories. The New York Times uh, had done a couple. There's one called Fight for Fallujah. A friend of mine out of Austin and his partner uh, did a piece called The Sun Ladies, which is about this this all-women military group in the Middle East combating terrorists and ISIS. It's just beautiful and brilliant. Tons and tons and tons of different uh, types of experiences. One really fascinating one that is fiction, but very much influenced by nonfiction is something that came out a year or two ago called, oh dang, I just blanked on it. Um, it's, um, um, oh man, it came out of Tribeca. Um, hold on, I'm going to Google it. If uh, This makes for great podcasting. Um, there is this thing called the, the Blackout. There it is, thank you, Blackout. So what they did with Blackout, they used new technology um, uh, from a kit called Depth Kit, D-E-P-H, uh, D-E-P-T-H-K-I-T. 
um, which is software that uses the Microsoft Connect to scan people and to essentially capture them as a hologram. And what they did was they recreated the New York subway. Uh, they captured the New York subway in photogrammetry and then recreated an exhibit space. Um, so when you sit down, when you're in, immersed in that world and you sit down on the subway seat, there's a seat there for you. When you put your arm out to hold on to the pole in the subway, there's a pole there for you. And what they did was they scanned people and they popped them into your subway. And when you maintained your gaze on that person, you heard their internal monologue, right? So you start to hear these people's journeys on the subway. So it's really a fascinating piece. But, you know, uh, another thing to check out is this company called The Void uh, out of Utah. They've got uh, exhibits popping up or franchises popping up, and they sell something uh, called Hyper Reality. Um, I did it with my kid. Um, they have this experience about Star Wars, and you you go to the staging area, put this helmet on, put this backpack on, you're given a gun, and then you once you have that helmet on, everything is replaced with you know, the Star Wars universe. You see people right. with you who are your friends. In my case, was my kid, uh, who was a miniature stormtrooper, was cute as can be. And we <laughs> both are stormtroopers with our guns, and we're going in there to um, to get the Death Star plans. And what's what makes it hyper reality is that when you reach out to hit this lever, there's a lever there. Even though it's a, a Star Wars universe, a plank comes out, and you have to walk this plank over some lava, you feel the heat from the la uh, lava. What was that? A heat oh, wow. lamp, right? So really cool stuff that's out there from fiction to nonfiction. Lots of things to see. Tribeca and Sundance are really uh, showcasing a lot of those things. But lots and lots of folks are trying to do that. And now, though, Very cool. yeah, there, there's a big shift that we're going towards for for augmented reality. So virtual reality is... I replace my current reality and I immerse myself in another, often with a headset, right? I isolate myself, if you will. It's one way of viewing it and immerse myself into another world. But in this world, this reality of real life, where we're in a mobile-first era, when everyone has a phone and we're moving around and dealing with the real world, augmented reality or the term mixed reality is what is really attractive. How can I bring 3D assets into my world to help me better understand it? Right, and so you're seeing a lot more in that space, and you're going to see that for the for the coming years. Um, really, take replace VR to some extent, and then eventually merge with it. Um, but mixed reality has a lot of potential. That's what my students and I are working on right now. Well, very good. So, um, again, just to reiterate, some resources for people to see the actual journalism you're doing. You know, with these new tools, where can they go? And if they want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Sure, sure. So. Um, journalism is how uh, we produce, is the name we produce our experiences under. To get the best quality experience of uh, viewing would be through the app, so Journalism on iOS and Android. Or you can go to our website, Jovernalism.io. Um, and you can tweet at me. We have the Journalism on Twitter, um, or my Twitter handle is webjournalist, so at webjournalist. That's great, Robert. Why? This will be super interesting. I'm going to check this stuff out, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, anytime. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies, 
that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.